And if you get locked into this world of we can only spend money if we can track a click, that's going to end up putting you on the wrong path and sort of in the Facebook marketplace death spiral of, look, we're just, you know, going, we're going to be trapped into a world where we're just bidding against our competitors for CPAs. And that's, it's hard to grow a business that way. You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. I'm thrilled today to have our guest, Michael Kaminsky, on our podcast here today. Michael comes as founder and CEO of Recast. And yeah, Michael, thanks for joining us. I'm going to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about Recast. Yeah. Howdy, y'all. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm Michael, as Jason mentioned already. Uh, my background is in econometrics and statistics, super passionate about statistical inference, really. How can we use data plus software and code in order to learn things about the world. Um, that's where my focus has been for all of my career. I was really lucky to get started in academia and then sort of work at a bunch of startups with a lot of really smart people. And for the last couple of years, I've been working on Recast where I'm combining that passion for econometrics plus software engineering uh, to help marketers learn more about what is most effective for them. How can we use data to generate insights and then actually go out in the world and use those insights to drive additional profit for these businesses that we're working with. So at Recast, you know, we're in the family of marketing mixed models, which effectively means we use a top-down statistical model to try to learn about incrementality for all of the different marketing channels that our customers are operating in. And yeah, I'm really excited. I've been a known Jason for a while, really excited to be here. Huge fan of Simon Data and let's get into it. Awesome, Michael. So let's dive right into the big question. And I think you you said a word that I know is top of mind for many of our listeners today, and that's profit. Yeah, you know, the macro has changed. You know, and for you know anyone who's caught some of our, our most previous episodes, we've actually had a whole line of conversations around this. You know, starting with uh, Aaron Fetters at Transparent Partners, where we talked about clean rooms. Yeah, you know, we had Shreen Albert on our last show where we talked about an incredibly interesting story about her journey with Bobby. You know, where she tried to understand you know, which of her channels were effective and which weren't. You know, for those who didn't listen you know, to that episode, Bobby actually had supply chain shortages where they actually had to shut off channels one at a time to understand what was effective and what wasn't. You know, and today we're going to be talking about and really unpacking you know, how every one of you can better understand the channels in front of you uh, and what your optimal marketing mix can be. You know, at the end of the day, you can log on to Google Analytics uh, and Google loves to sell you search keywords. Uh, and search keywords are incredibly easy to understand whether or not they're converting. You know, yet at the end of the day, for most brands, a marketing strategy which you know just you know affects around last click attribution, you know, for search and maybe some social sparingly way, uh, is not you know necessarily the best way you know to build a comprehensive brand strategy uh, and demand strategy. You know, so today we're going to be diving in you know to you know, tactics and strategies and how to think about these problems. You know, in a way that you know doesn't necessarily require that you shut off your marketing channels like Bobby did one at a time, but instead can allow you to look at your business holistically. Uh, you know, and really just ask, you know, you know, why am I you know, posting the Instagram, you know, for you know, you know, when I actually aren't driving any direct sales, and how do I even think about that? Yeah, so maybe to, to kick things off, Michael, I know you gave a bit of a a background for Recast where it came from, you know, in your background, but 
you know, maybe you can sort of just you know, talk, maybe just give a bit of a founder story or, or a bit of context around, you know, sort of the mission, the vision behind Recast and some of the, the core problems that you're trying to, you know, to solve and, and help your customers understand. Absolutely. So maybe I'll give, I'll give the background on Recast or the slightly apocryphal founders, founders journey here. So before starting Recast, I ran the data science and analytics team at a company called Harry's, um, which probably if they're, if you're, a male in, in the audience here, you have surely been advertised to, at least if I had anything to say about it. Um, they make men's grooming products. When I joined that company, it was an e-commerce store, right? We sold online. We primarily advertised on Facebook and Google, had grown the business quite sizably just on those channels. It was great. Things were going well. Uh, when I joined, I helped to build out the effectively the multi-touch attribution platform at that company, worked really closely with the marketing team, thinking really hard about, okay, how do we measure the effectiveness of our marketing spend? During my time at Harry's, though, things got a lot more complex. The business uh, expanded into other non-trackable distribution channels, selling at Target, at Walmart, on Amazon, places where we can't put a pixel, right? You can't put a pixel on the scanner at Target. You can't do it at Walmart. You can't do it on the Amazon checkout page. And so, and the marketing team started advertising in more and more offline channels or sort of mid funnel, top of funnel channels, as a marketer might say. So, you know, investing into podcast and radio and TV and channels like that, where, you know, the multi-touch attribution model that I had built and I knew really well, we just recognized that it had flaws. It was going to overcredit more bottom of funnel channels that are closer to clicks and purchases. And also myopically only focused on the e-commerce site. And so we sort of realized that the business was missing big parts of the full picture. And so I sort of wanted to think about, well, how do we actually understand that full picture, right? Where we can't track people across the internet. And I started learning about these techniques called marketing mix modeling, which CPG companies like Procter & Gamble, Gillette, Coke, Pepsi have been doing for 50 or 60 years. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting, right? We're going to have a regression type model. We're going to look at historically when we tend to spend more money on certain channels, do we tend to get more revenue? Find those patterns. I went out and I looked at building it myself and I was like, this is really hard. I went out and I talked to a bunch of vendors uh, and I wasn't really happy with what was on the market. They were using outdated methods from you know, 30, 40 years ago. They weren't updating the model frequently enough uh, to be responsive to the way that modern marketing works, which is that the platform effectiveness can change really quickly. And so I identified like, look, there seems like there's a problem here, right? We need some way of measuring full funnel marketing effectiveness for online and offline channels. We need to be able to do that because of changes to privacy and because the future is omni-channel for retail, right? You're going to sell on your e-commerce store. You're going to sell on Amazon. You're going to sell at Target. And so it felt like there was a real gap there. And I left Harry's, teamed up with my co-founder, Tom, and we started Recast to really try to address that gap, to try to take modern statistical methods and apply them to this really, really hard problem of estimating incrementality of marketing investment for non-trackable channels. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great mission. And you know, ultimately, the question that everyone's asking is, is as, as I said originally, some channels are easier to track than others, but it doesn't mean that you know, they're not effective. So maybe we can go into some specific examples. You know, I think about out of home, I think about billboards, I think about TV. You know, how does all that stuff fit in with you know my you know my Google search budget? You know, how should people think about this? And and you know how does some of your analyses and your product you know, help your customers unpack all that? So it's it's a really good question. And I mean, look, I am a huge fan of Google search and Facebook advertising or Meta, let's call it right. 
But the those two channels are incredibly powerful, and there have been a lot of great businesses built on the back of those two channels. Um, and I think if you are starting, you know, an e-commerce store, that's those are the best places to start. The trouble comes when you start to graduate from being a small e-commerce store to really trying to be a big brand, right? And that's where you start to explore these other marketing channels. And that's where things get a lot more difficult. And this is a problem that we see a lot as we work with a lot of brands that started out, they you know built a decent sized business on the back of Facebook and Google. And now they're looking to take that next step. They've already tapped out Facebook and Google. They just can't continue to scale up those channels anymore. They need to expand to other marketing channels. And they really struggle with that because the only thing they know is last touch attribution, right? And once you start expanding into podcast and radio and TV and influencer, last touch attribution doesn't really work anymore. And so this is a real challenge for marketers to try to cross that chasm to, okay, now that we need to get out beyond those two core channels that we built this business with, what are we going to do? How are we going to measure this? And I think sort of recognizing that things are different in that world. Once you're in sort of mid-funnel and top-of-funnel marketing, you're going to need other techniques. The the things that got you here won't get you there, right, is a sort of a phrase that I that comes from a book but that I like to share because it's really important in this context of, okay, we need to do something else. We need to branch out beyond what we've been doing before and actually figure out how are we going to measure channels that don't have clicks, Right. And there you start to explore more advanced methodology. It's really convenient to be able to go look at the Google Analytics panel and be like, look, the CPA for this keyword is X and the CPA for you know this Facebook campaign is Y. But once you get into channels where you can't do that, you need some way of bringing that story together and actually making smart decisions about how you're going to allocate your budget in this new world where things can't be measured quite so easily. Yeah, no. And it's uh, also a share a personal anecdote from a good friend of mine. And I think you know, in, the, in the early days of startups and direct-to-consumer brands, you, yes, you rely on Facebook and Google, but you also have that buzz from your early adopters. And I think part of the challenge is as you, you know, widen up your, your addressable market and you know, try to reach a new set of customers, you need to build that brand base and, set, and point of awareness. You know, one of my good friends, you know, he now runs you know, a very large and successful you know, B2B SMB SaaS business, but he launched in New York City. And part of his launch strategy was to buy some subway and you know, the launch was successful. You know, this, this sale process included Google Ads, but also included a sales process where you actually talk to someone for 30 minutes, you know, and before you bought buy the product. And I remember, you know, when he went to launch in Boston, the next city, he asked his board member, he's like, look, I don't know if if these subway ads and these out-of-home ads are working. They're really expensive, you know, they're hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, I, I think maybe the next cities I'm not gonna bother. And the board member responded and, and he was like, Look, if the launch in New York City worked. Do the same thing that you did in Boston. And look, and, and now they're in you know, you know, 100 cities across the country, uh, and this is their plan. And they've certainly gotten a lot deeper around analysis, but you know, the fact of the matter remains, you know, the, the halo effect of doing proper upper funnel awareness you know, is totally critical. Yet at the same time, the decisions that people use, you know, the data that's used to make those decisions, rather, is so, you know, is so seat of the past. You know, it's That's- like, well, like, I guess it worked before, like, you know, like, you know, and again, the story, you know, happened, you know, you know, five, six, seven years ago when, you know, the capital markets were a lot different than today. It was like, obviously you're going to do it. And today, if you have that conversation, it's going to be a lot different. Am I going to spend $400,000, you know, to advertise on Boston's tea, or are we just not going to because we think we can get it done without it? 
this is like, this is such a hard, this is such a hard question for everybody. And I, I think, you know, there's a bunch of interesting points here. So one is if we think back to like the history of marketing, right? The last 10 years are really the anomaly, right? If you put yourself in the shoes of a CMO of Pepsi in the 1980s, like there were, they had to do everything sort of by the seat of their pants, right? Because there just was no other data. There's no e-commerce. There's no clicks to track. You have to take these big bets on out of home or new channels or print or TV, and then do your best to stitch the learnings together, run experiments where you can. But this idea of like a direct connection between, you know, we showed an advertisement to Bob and then Bob made a purchase two days later, didn't, didn't exist at all. Like it was inconceivable. And so really it's the last 10 years that have been the anomaly. And I actually think that it's part of it has been really good, obviously, like a lot of great businesses have been built, but it's also, I think, weakened the capacity of a lot of marketers to really take these big bets and big swings and think holistically and strategically about how does our marketing fit into this bigger picture? And your anecdote here, I think, is a really good example of like, you know, it seemed to work once. Why would we like, let's let's double down. Let's click into it. Let's see if we can do it again. If it doesn't work, we'll have a learning. If it does work, we can sort of see if we want to keep expanding it. Does it only work with launches? Does it work at other times? And those sorts of like bets and swings of look, look, we're going to go try TV. We're going to see if it works. We're going to go run an experiment. We're going to see if, you know, podcast is going to work for us. I think is a really healthy muscle for marketing teams to build. And if you get locked into this world of we can only spend money if we can track a click, that's going to end up putting you on the wrong path and sort of in the... Facebook marketplace death spiral of, look, we're just, you know, going, we're going to be trapped into a world where we're just bidding against our competitors for CPAs. And that's, it's hard to grow a business that way, at least in today's world, right? 10 years ago, it was possible when the, when the cost per impression was a lot cheaper on Facebook and Google, but now it's so competitive that if you can't make decisions without a click, you're going to be in trouble. And it's just going to be really hard to grow the business from where you are today, because all of the margin gets competed away on the hyper-efficient Google and Facebook channels. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, so, you know, Michael, I don't know if you have any specific examples of channels or, you know, or, or learnings that you know, you've come across over the past years, maybe something from Harry's or something from Recast, where it was sort of like, oh, wow, moment, you know, this is actually working and, and here's a new way of thinking about, you know, my channel mix. It ha- so it happens all the time with our customers. And I think, you know, every brand is different and all of their marketing strategies are different. And so, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's like patterns that we see, but we've seen tons of examples of customers sort of going both directions in terms of recognizing that something is working or isn't working. You know, we've worked with a customer that was spending a lot of money on streaming TV. Their streaming TV vendor was claiming was claiming credit for a lot of conversions. And then, you know, we ran we ran their data through Recast and, and the Recast platform identified that, look, when you vary your TV spend, your number of conversions does not really seem to change very much, right? It seems like there's actually not very much of a connection here. They took down their streaming TV spend basically to zero. They turned it off and number of conversions stayed flat over that entire course. And like, it really was doing almost nothing for them. And that's like, you know, we're talking high six figures a month type of budget on this channel. And it was just like, that was net savings for them. That went straight to the bottom line because it really wasn't doing anything for them, even though their vendor was trying to claim a lot of credit. We've also seen the opposite, right? We've seen other companies where 
you know, they, they've, they're trying to, to step into TV. They're worried that it doesn't work because they don't have clicks. They don't trust the vendor, but it really is highly incremental for them. And this is, and that's like, that then becomes their next channel that they can actually scale into meaningfully after they had tapped out Facebook and Google search and weren't able to scale into that anymore. So we, we've been able to see all of the sort of the full range of outcomes here from, look, this channel you're under crediting, but it's actually, um, a lot more incremental for you than you think. Pinterest is a good example, actually. That's a pattern that we've seen now a couple of times where Pinterest, I think, builds a lot of awareness, at least for some some brands that are especially advertising to like the Pinterest customer or the, the Pinterest user, where for a bunch of different reasons, I don't think that that channel was getting full credit and they were able to ex- expand their advertising into that channel fairly substantially, grow the business that way. And so a lot of like the work that we're doing with these with these companies is identifying those like, small, small, sometimes very large areas for improvement, and then helping them grow the business by either cutting spin from the from their less efficient channels where they, you know, don't have insight into or where they're not actually getting very much incremental lift from, and then identifying opportunities to to grow into channels where there actually is room for that incremental lift. 100%. And, and sort of another area, at least speaking on behalf of Simon Data is, you know, we're always aggressive around retargeting, you know, and even if it doesn't lead you know, to people submitting a demo request, you know, I always hear, you know, from people that, oh, we see your ads and you guys are top of mind, you see you everywhere. So, you know, obviously, you know, maybe we should have a conversation, Michael, around, you know, doing some analysis on our data. You know, I think, you know, really what we're talking about here is the bridge between that intuition and the direct customer feedback into the raw numbers, the data and the statistics that can validate, you know, what I believe might be true to things that we can actually statistically verify, hey, you know, this is working. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, I think good marketers take a test and learn approach, right? They are willing to take big bets and a tool like Recast can help you identify, look, there's potential in this channel. Let's go take a bet on it, right? Let's go, let's plan next month, April, we're going to triple spin into the channel. And it's a risk, right? There's a risk that it doesn't go well, that, you know, the statistical model didn't didn't hit it perfectly and we're going to learn something on the other side. But the value in the test is we're going to learn something on the other side, Right. We think it's a good. We think it's a it's a good bet to take, and we're going to go. If it works out, it's going to be worth you know millions of dollars of extra revenue for the business. If it doesn't work out, well, we'll have you know spent a few extra dollars on marketing, but that also shouldn't be valued at zero, right? We'll have gotten something for that. And so all of those different points, I think, need to need to come together. And marketers, CMOs especially, need to build that muscle of thinking in bets, being willing to take risks and being able to generate the institutional buy-in for that. You need to be able to go to your CEO and the finance team and the board and say, look, we're not sure what's going to happen. There's a big opportunity here. We think it's worth investing in number of thousands of dollars in order to go test it. And if it works, it'll be a huge payoff. And if it doesn't, we'll be out a little bit. But the only way that we're going to grow the business is by placing smart bets over and over and over again. Like in the days where you can just dump a ton of money into Facebook and then, you know, build a hundred million dollar revenue business on top of that are over. It's just like, that's, those days are gone. They're never coming back. And I'm sorry, but the future for marketers has to be on figuring out what the next channel is and then taking risks. How, what is our influencer strategy going to be, even if we can't measure it as precisely as Facebook? And you need to have an answer to that question. I mean, it's a hard one. It's uncomfortable, especially if you came up in the last five or 10 years where you could do everything based on last touch attribution. But again, I just think that the future is in these less trackable channels and the marketers that are going to have success and the brands that are going to have success in the future are the ones that can get comfortable with how can we take bets, 
do the best that we can on measurement, even if we don't necessarily have all of the clicks and all of the impressions and tracking people across the internet. Yeah. And look, it's what you're making is actually an incredibly subtle point. You know, and I think you know, one of the biggest challenges with the macro is that there's so much pressure around, you know, make, make sure that you're show, you, you have clear return on ad spend. Make sure that ROI is 100% clear. And look, you should only be spending on channels, you know, your direct response, response channels have to be working. Uh, but at the same time, look, if you double down your direct response channels, you will have no brand halo. You will have no brand awareness. You have no customer education around what you do you know, that's you know, either differentiated or valuable. Really, the expectations in this new world is one of coming up the other side you know, with an incredibly efficient business you know, that can affect you know, customer acquisition costs that are fully sustainable. Uh, you know, so while if you took a strategy today where you were incredibly myopic around optimizing for last quick conversion and backed off the gas on everything else, you may work for a couple of quarters. All the work you've done over the last year in building your brand you know, will be you know, for, for nothing. You know, so really, you know, the question is, how do you balance the two? Uh, and how do you think critically around what you're actually doing? And how do you, you know, how do you fast forward one, two years out uh, in identifying that right channel mix that you know, permits efficient cash in 2024 and 2025? I, I, I think that's exactly right. And I mean, again, Facebook is Facebook and Google are incredibly efficient channels. Unfortunately, that works for your competitors just as well as it does for you. And so, if you get to this world, I mean, if your product is not super differentiated. And again, there are a few products that are like that, but most products face competition from other similar products, especially in the consumer space. And what ends up happening is that two or five or whatever brands are all on Facebook and Google, and it just drives the CPAs up. There's just limited room for everybody to play. Google and Facebook end up eating everyone's margin. And so if you're a brand and you want to figure out how to get to that next level of growth, you just can't assume that those channels are going to continue to scale for you because your competitors are going to come in and they're going to try to eat your margin the same way that you did to you know whatever brand you disrupted when you came onto the market as well. And so again, you can get some efficient conversions, but it's just if you flash forward two or three years, those markets are so competitive. They're just so competitive. It's hard to win consistently there when you have to compete against all of the other competitors that are doing the same CAC and LTV math that you are. And so, you know, what is your plan going to be when all of those cost per acquisition numbers get driven up by all of the competitors bidding after your same audience? And that's the question that CMOs need to be thinking about today is how are you going to do that a year from now when more competitors enter, when these platforms are even more saturated than they are today and tracking is worse? And those are hard questions. You know, uh, being a CMO is hard. But that's that's the job, I think, right now is figuring out what is the plan, what is the strategy for that future world. Yep, no, that's 100% right. So, Michael, we're, we're approaching the bottom of the episode. Uh, you know, time for the bonus question. Yeah, if, if you were to have this conversation again with anyone in the world, uh, who would it be and why? This is a good, this is a, I mean, this is a really interesting question. I'm not sure. I think I would love to have this conversation with like the CEO of the CMO of Nike. I don't know who that person is, but someone like that who is, they have such a massive brand. They advertise on all of the channels. They sell through all of the different channels. How do they think about measuring marketing, right? What do they think the future of marketing is going to look like? I think that's such an interesting and unique perspective, at least for me to like learn from and understand, you know, how do they think about measurement? How do they think about defending Nike's brand in this sort of continually 
changing world and where there is lots of com- competition from both upstart disruptor brands as well as from you know the platforms themselves just changing and how do they th- how do they think about managing all of that complexity that i think would be a fascinating conversation and and would would be a thing that i would love to hear at least again from these massive brands that have been doing marketing for a very long time and have been thinking about it very hard for a very long time where do they think the future is how are they thinking about future proofing themselves from all of the disruptors that are trying to come and eat their lunch as well. Yep. And, you know, I'm sure if you were to have this conversation with Nike, you know, the number one brand defining moment that they've affected, you know, in the last 30 years now, 40 years now must have been signing Michael Jordan. You know, your entire product lineup, half of all the shoes they sell, how Jordan's name, you know, and it's completely redefined, you know, and defined what the brand is today. And I'm sure the point would be like, there was no measuring, like they didn't have a measurement plan in place. They took there, a swing. There was no last click attribution. When there was no last click attribution. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be fascinating. Cool. Well, we'll have to, um, you know, hunt down, you know, someone from Nike for a future episode. Well, Michael, thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing your wisdom with us. Really, when I reflect on, you know, the conversation, it's ultimately about one of efficiency uh, and about where to stand. And as I said a few minutes ago, you know, it's about, you know, you know thinking about the funnel uh, from top to bottom. Today, you have a whole bunch of folks who are at the top of the, the middle of your funnel who have a degree of awareness. You have a degree of enthusiasm about what you do, and you have a degree uh, and a capability to convert some of them. You know, but ultimately, it's about, you know, thinking across the entire spectrum, you know, from that first touch point with the brand, you know, to the first purchase. And we didn't even talk about, you know, second purchase and, you know, the broader customer journey beyond that. Yeah, but ultimately, putting it all together is what you know drives effective marketing and effective product adoption. Yeah, and if you're not able to measure that and understand how the different constituent pieces work together, you know, then you just won't have a holistic strategy and you won't have a holistic customer experience. And you certainly won't you know, have a very difficult time meeting some of your efficiency goals to you know, affect you know, the customer moving through uh, the funnel and seeing the value that they're uh, that they'd otherwise hope to see. And, and so, Michael, I, you know, I'm sure you know, at least some of our listeners are might be you know, interested in learning more about Recast and what you do. Uh, you know, you know, how can they find you? You know, and how can they contact you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So they can they can always uh, check out our website, getrecast.com. We just published an ebook, 50 pages on how to actually use marketing mix modeling at a modern brand, how to operationalize it. So I highly suggest that they go um, check that out, and they can always sort of connect with me on LinkedIn or send a demo request if you're interested on our website. Awesome. And thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata. You've been listening to the Data Unlocked. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.